On today's 10-Minute Mindset Power Hour, we're focusing on side hustles and self-care. First up are two conversations with Suzanne Brown, speaker, author, and consultant, who is teaching moms how to start and sustain the side hustle of their dreams through planning and productivity. I am super excited to have a fantastic guest with us today. And this is the kind of person that I'm pretty sure her and I could just talk for like three or four hours at a time and not miss a beat. We've had such great conversations up to this point, so I can't wait to have her on the show. Suzanne Brown is her name. She is a strategic marketing and business consultant and work-life balance speaker, strategist, and best-selling and four-time award-winning author. She empowers company leaders and working moms to think differently about balance and take action. She shares her own experience and extensive research, as well as tips, insights, and advice from interviews with more than 110 working moms. Get practical ideas from her weekly blog, read more about her two books, or watch her TED Talk at mompowerment.com. That is her website, so go there, check out everything she's doing, connect with her on social. You can find all those links in the show notes. Suzanne and her family, they live in Austin, Texas, and I'm super excited to have her here today. Suzanne, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Mario. I can't wait to talk. We've had so much fun so far. I know. This is fun. It's like one of those things where we schedule 15 minutes and we're on for two hours. And I'm totally okay with that because the conversations have been fantastic. We've talked everything from from peak productivity to work-life balance to all of these different things. So let's just get started really quickly with, you know, I know a lot of people they want to do what they're passionate about, right? That's like they want to do in today's day and age more so than ever. They don't want to be stuck at a job that they don't like. And a lot of people in order to do this are starting to investigate ways where they can start a second thing, where they can start something else that they really enjoy. But they're in this place where they're like, well, how do I actually make this work with my schedule? How do I actually make this profitable? How do I, you know, and you've been able to successfully do two things at once, plus have a family, plus all of these other things. What's, what's your advice? How do you do it? So I will say I'm also coming at this from having essentially done two side hustles, right? So when I started my strategic marketing um, uh, consulting business, that was a side hustle for like seven or eight years. And then essentially mom empowerment became a side hustle. Um, So I look at this as it's all about maximizing my time. That's really kind of what it comes down to. And a lot of people say, okay, yeah, that's great. And in theory, I want to maximize my time too. But then the question is, what does that really look like? And the thing that has made the biggest difference in my life is I plan for my week. And then each night I plan for the next day. And so on Sunday, and some people recommend doing it on Friday. I recommend doing it on Sunday because I'm not going to lie. By Friday afternoon, I'm fried and I'm like, I don't care. And I've checked out. But on Sunday, once I put my kids to bed, I can sit down and I can look at, okay, what does my week look like? Do I have any podcast interviews? Do I Am I giving a workshop? Granted, normally when I give a workshop, I know that a little bit more. I, I realize that. But, but it's like, what are the, the time chunks that I have to make sure that I, that I take care of and that kind of specifically go on my calendar? And then I think through, what are my goals? What are, the, what are my priorities for each day? And once I do that, I can, I can really kind of understand like, what do I really want to be able to accomplish this week? And then the reason why I say each night you need to adjust is things are going to come up in the course of a day. And so something comes up on Monday and it wipes your, your day clean. You know, as you mentioned, I have two kids and maybe one of them um, comes home sick. 
okay, so what are the most important things that I want to do this week? And how can I adjust my week to make sure that I continue to be able to actually complete those tasks? And so each night I adjust a little bit the next day. And, and I'm not talking a huge amount of time. I take 15 to 20 minutes on Sunday to plan the week and like 10, maybe 15 minutes each night to plan the next day. And the benefit of doing that is I know what I want to accomplish. It allows me to quickly reprioritize as necessary when new things come your your way. Not if, but when they come your way because they always happen. And then the other thing is I don't use up valuable work time trying to figure out what my day is going to look like. So on Monday, I hit the ground running. I don't have to sit down and think, okay, so what do I need to accomplish today? And because you've got to get into that mindset of work. And if I know I can, I can work, like I can get going instead of, okay, what's my plan for today? Like I can already make things happen and I can use my time much more wisely than trying to set that all up each morning. So you're very intentional with your activities and what needs to be done and what you want to accomplish. Let's take it back one step further though, because my question to you is when you started your, your set, your side hustles, what was your motivation behind starting them? What made you say, I want to go do this. I'm going to go do it because you were in the marketing world to begin with. So, I mean, you were, you were very successful. So what made you say, I want to go pursue these other things too. So the, the reason why I set up my strategic marketing business was to be quite blunt, the companies that I wanted to work with, and I worked for very large companies um, right out of grad school. So I got my MBA in 2004. They could not pay me what I was worth. Now they gave me a lot of work-life balance. They allowed me to, to gain skills that would have been really hard for me to gain in another kind of environment. But they, I had completely capped out on what they could pay me. And I said, you, I should be making a lot more money. And they're like, we've, ca- I mean, there is, you are, you are, you are at the top of our cap. And I said, okay, that's fine. You're going to have to give me flexibility to be able to build my side business. And so I went into that in the negotiation saying, okay, I get it. You know, I've, I've reached the cap that you have. You want my skills. I want to be able to learn from what it is that you have to offer. You're going to have to give me some flexibility in the meantime. And that way, if I had, you know, a three hour lunch or if I needed to work um, from another site, you know, if I needed to go and work with a client in another city, they needed to give me the flexibility to do that. And so it was essentially my way of making the right income that I was expecting. And then the reason why I kind of continued that was even though I moved to another company, it was still the same situation. I had capped out on what they could pay me, but I knew I should be making more money. And so I, I just went to my supervisor at the time and said, okay, so this is what I've been doing and I want to continue to do that here. You know, And nobody seemed to worry about it. But the truth is I didn't abuse the privilege. So it's not like every day I had a three-hour lunch. You know, I did that from time to time. But I didn't abuse it. And I gave 110% at the office. And then when I started my second business, it really was... I saw that there was a need in the marketplace. So Mom Paramount was started because I had transitioned to a part-time role while I was still in a very large company environment. And, and then I started to get all of these questions about, how did you make that happen? 
Like, how did you convince your manager? And I, it was taking up a ton of my time. And I, I looked for a resource. I said, okay, there's got to be a place where I can send these people. And there was not a resource that I could send people. And since I was an entrepreneur, I said, well, this needs to be a resource. I mean, how hard can it be to set this up? You know, which are honestly like famous last words as an entrepreneur. It's always harder than you think that it is. But that was it. There was a need in the marketplace. And, you know, and, and honestly, part of the, the, the first business that I had created was because I had clients come to me right out of grad school and say, Hey, can you work on this project for me? And I said, you, you know, I, I have a, a, a full-time job. And they're like, yeah, that's great. And I'm super excited for you. But, but can you just go ahead and do this project for me? Um, and so again, there was, you know, there was that need in the marketplace. And so that's kind of my, I guess, my theme. It's like you see what's out there and then you, you create what's needed. That's so interesting. What I love about your story and how you how you did this is you didn't dislike what you were doing. You wanted to actually do more of it. And you realized that you were worth more than what you were being compensated. And I think that's a huge thing in today's day and age because I think a lot of people don't recognize their true worth and they don't see. So how did you work that out in your own mind to look at it and go, wait a minute, I should be making more for everything I'm doing. I need to go figure out a way to make that happen because it's not fair otherwise. You know, I think in my case, it was a little bit um, unique in that when you when you walk out of an MBA program, they have all of this information on, um, on what is everybody getting paid. Um, they collect that information and they look at it from the previous year and from your year. And so there's a ton of data. Now, the truth is, you can get that data online. It's not literally handed to you by the career services office, you can find that information. There are lots of different resources. And I think people are more open to sharing salary information now than they were in the past. But being able to, to understand what other people were making, knowing what I was making before grad school. And and I, I mean, let's be honest, I, I have a pretty strong sense of, of, um, of self-confidence and and understanding like what do I bring the t- to the table that that you don't have and you're not going to find in somebody else or maybe you find that person but it's going to take you a lot longer to find that person you might have to move them here you know being able to understand really kind of what is what are my strengths and what is it that I have that's unique that helped me understand like what do I bring to the table that nobody else is going to bring and then to start to think through, like, what is the actual value behind that? Um, and what can I bring to a team that they're not going to have through the other people? And in that first case, I was working for an engineering firm. And what I could help them figure out was best practices, which they absolutely did not have. That was something that they were struggling with. And I was able to manage a larger team. That was just something that they, I mean, the people who they had had just didn't have that experience in the past. And so to be able to come in and say, I'm going to create best practices for this team. I'm going to maximize their effort. We're going to get better results for the effort that we're making in the marketplace for the campaigns. That was a very different, you know, kind of perspective and and a very different voice than other people were saying as they were interviewing. And so when I started to do negotiation, I kind of knew the position that I was in of, I know nobody else has this. 
So that's why I'm going to have you be flexible with me. <laughs> I, I think there's so much power in that awareness, right? Knowing what you uniquely bring. And then, I mean, that gives you the power to leverage that to create the situations that are fair and that are that should be there. Yeah, because the truth is, if you don't ask, it's not going to happen. You're, you know, if you happen to be in a in a, a a large company environment or really any kind of company environment where you're an employee and you're doing and you're trying to create a side thing, you're, I can almost guarantee your manager isn't going to come to you and say, you know what, I think we're undervaluing your your skill set. Why don't I give you a big raise? You know, more often than not, or hey, you know. I know you want to be able to learn some other things. Why don't you create a side gig? I think that would be a great idea. Like no manager is going to say either of those things. You're going to have to ask. You're going to have to, I don't want to say fight the fight because you don't necessarily have to fight, right? But if you don't ask for it, no one is going to give it to you. Or in very rare occasions, will they give it to you? And so it doesn't hurt to ask. And and you might work in an environment where um, where it's more on the down low. And so you kind of have to feel it out to see is what is it in the case of your employer if if the case is that you have a side hustle. Um, it happens that in the marketing world, so many people have a side gig. So it's not a big deal to be able to do that. But even in that engineering firm, no one even blinked when I said, this is what I'm going to do. Now, across the board, we always agreed that I was never going to work with a competitor which completely makes sense, right? Like, it's not like I was going to go after another engineering firm. Like, that would, I mean, even my ethics wouldn't allow that. So, um, but we just agreed. And, and I happened to be working at a large marketing agency in that second um, circumstance. And so I didn't go after clients that were in the same industries that the clients that we had. So not a big deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, it never hurts to ask the question. Fantastic. Suzanne, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I can't wait to pick up the conversation in the next episode. I want to remind people they can find you at mompowerment.com. That's your website where they can check out everything that you're doing and also grab all your social links in the show notes so they can connect with you across all social media. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to picking this up in the next episode. Can't wait. It is my honor and privilege to bring back onto the line Suzanne Brown. She is a strategic marketing and business consultant and work-life balance speaker, strategist, and best-selling and four-time award-winning author. She empowers company leaders and working moms to think differently about balance and take action. She shares her own experience and extensive research as well as tips, insights, and advice from interviews with more than 110 working moms. You can get practical ideas from her weekly blog, read more about her two books, or watch her TED Talk at mompowerment.com, which is her website. You can also connect with her across all social media from the links in the show notes and at her website. And her and her family, they live in Austin, beautiful Austin, Texas. Suzanne, it's so great to have you back. Thank you for having me. I can't wait to keep talking. <laughs> I had so much fun in the last episode talking about starting a second thing, what led you to do that. And it was so interesting to me how you negotiated to make that happen. Because you see a lot of people who they start a second thing out of desperation or because, you know, just they don't really have a clear idea, but you knew why you were starting it. You knew what it was. You knew you could be successful at it and you didn't do it to replace what you were already doing. You did it in addition to. So I just thought it was super fascinating to hear the, the take that you had 
on doing that. So thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. Hopefully it'll give someone some inspiration. I absolutely, I, I'm inspired. So that's, there, there you go. <laughs> the, the other <laughs> thing I want to talk about on today's episode is something that came up in our conversations in the past. And that is this, this topic of peak productivity moments, because I think throughout the day, we all have specific moments in time or specific pockets of time where our productivity is at its peak. And I think it's super important. One of the things I talk about in 10-Minute Mindset a lot is how important it is to know when your peak productivity time is throughout the day and give yourself permission to be at your peak during that time. So I'd love to hear your take on this and you know how you, because you do so much. You have you know your two things, you have your family, you're a balance expert, so to speak. So I'd love to hear your take on this. So it's interesting because when you talk about productivity, so many times people um, have what they think they should do. So you and I have even talked about this. You originally thought you should wake up at you know, four or five o'clock in the morning and make things happen. And the truth is not everybody is a morning person. You know, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so there are people who might be night owls. There are people who like me, I I am a morning person. And so I am at my best um, in the morning, right after I've dropped my boys off to school. And so that peak productivity is when you, you really are just everything is firing the right way, right? You are, you are able to naturally get into your groove and you need to understand when that happens, right? So that's the first step because a lot of times people are like, okay, yeah, I got to work on my peak productivity. Okay. So what exactly does that even mean? So the first step is recognizing when that happens. And in order to do that, you've got to be able to kind of clear your calendar for, to be honest, like a day or two, And that is when you want to look at as you're starting to work, when you naturally hit your groove. You know, for some of us, it's first thing in the morning. For some of us, it's when you've had two cups of coffee. Um, You might be a night out. Like, it totally depends. And then the second part of that, and the reason why I say you want to do it over two days is because one day might be a fluke. um, And then, um, and you don't want to do it during like, a weird week. So like you don't want to do it during um, a holiday week or any of those when like you're going to naturally take off a day because maybe you're just, you're going to have to just hustle, hustle, hustle in order to make up for that time off. And that gives you a different perspective than realistically what your, what your natural groove is. And then the second peak of understanding your peak productivity is you want to actually use that time. So you don't want that to be the time when you have a standing meeting, if you can avoid it. Um, you um, That's not the time that you want to check off of things on, a bunch of things on your to-do list. You want that to be the time when you work on the most challenging, most strategic things that you can possibly do, because that is when your brain is at its best. Right. So why would you want to check off five things on your to-do list? Because then you're just postponing working on this most difficult challenge that you have either in your business or in um or for your client. Right? Yeah. And isn't that don't they always say that eighty percent of the results comes from twenty percent of the actions that you take? So it's yes. like but people put off that twenty percent because the eighty percent of the actions are easier. And it makes you feel like 
to me, busy and productivity aren't mutually exclusive. I mean, you can be busy and not productive. And I think that's what a lot of people do. They stay super busy and they feel like, oh, at the end of the day, I did so much. But did they really produce anything? Yeah. Well, and and I will say, it's going to vary from one person to the next. When I was writing my books, I wrote them during my most productive time, during that peak productivity, because that was something that I was trying to create in my business. So it's not always going to be a challenge for your client. It might be when you work on, not in your business. You know, and and I don't think everybody always thinks about that. How do you decipher what the most important activities for you are personally throughout the day? So it depends on what my goals are for the week. So I have I have what my goals are for the year. I break them down by the month and then I look at them for each week. And um if and, and there are some things that I do every day. So um, you know, this year I have made it a goal to do some kind of outreach every single day. Now, sometimes that's creating a proposal, and I need to be able to create that proposal during my my most productive times sometimes. And then sometimes it's to move a client relationship to the next level. That's what I choose to do during that that peak time. And so, because I have done that that weekly look at my um, at, at what do I want to, I, what do I ah, what do I want to achieve? What my goals are? What my priorities are? I'm able to understand how does my my day really need to flow because I've done the work to look at that on a daily basis too. And so, being able to to kind of marry a few things together, it allows you to really be much more intentional with how you spend your peak productivity and your whole day. And I think that that's the thing. You kind of have to put it together. And I joked with you, it's almost like time Tetris, right? Like you're trying to put together a bunch of different things, um, but that's kind of what it takes. How much time do you allot for you time? Like just for yourself to do what, you know, no, nobody's interfering. I can have a glass of wine. I can watch a movie. I can read a book. Whatever you choose to do, how much time do you allot for that for yourself throughout the week? Um, I spend a few hours doing that throughout the week. And and I also look at essentially self-care. I look at self-care a little bit differently than most other people do. I bookend my day with self-care. So I start my day with what's essentially a self-care check-in where I see like what are the things that I need to adjust in order to set myself up for success today. And maybe that's that I need to meditate for a few minutes. Maybe it's that I need to turn on something to pop up my energy, like, you know, some kind of music that just makes me super excited. Like it could be anything. And so that's how I start my day. And then I end my day. I write it in a gratitude journal every night. And then I read and I read something that is that helps me in my business and some aspect of my business. And then I read something for pleasure. So I'm almost always reading at least two books. And the interesting thing about that is, as I've done research in general for my books and workshops and webinars and whatever, I learned a little nugget that if you can read for pleasure, so not like the most draining thing in the world and, and probably not like Stephen King's It, but if you can read something for pleasure, it will lower your heart rate if you can read for six or six plus minutes. And I don't think we really think about reading as a form of self-care, but it can be a great form of self-care. And then when it comes to, to other things, so like you said, like having a glass of wine and like watching TV, 
that's one of the ways that my husband and I sometimes can connect. Like we will choose to watch a program together. And sometimes we try to connect every day for some amount of time. And sometimes that might be like 10 or 15 minutes right before bed. Sometimes that might be, you know, over date night, like whatever it is. But sometimes it will be sitting in front of the TV and and watching a program. And it's a small thing, but it's that that close proximity. It's that, you know, once you you put it on pause and you're like, am I following this? Like being able to sometimes have that conversation and not always have it be so critical. And and when I say critical, I don't mean like criticizing, but like, okay, what do we need to be able to achieve in order to, you know, like it's, it, this is not like a life or death moment. This is like watching Stranger Things or Game of Thrones or, you know, whatever. Like it's, it's being able to have a conversation where there's nothing on the line. And that can be a very, um, helpful thing to have with your significant other where not everything is about being intentional, right? Sometimes it's just about, you know, whatever the thing is on the TV. So it's nice to mix it up. <laughs> I, I would argue that watching Game of Thrones, when watching Game of Thrones, there's a lot on the line. That's intense. <laughs> <laughs> a very intense activity. Well, it, it also happens. My husband tends to agree with me because he knows better, you know, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> He's a, he's a wise so, man. He is. He's a wise man. But yeah, I mean, and and I, I don't know, being able to have those conversations can just, it's that like, okay, we're connecting over something that doesn't matter so much in our marriage, but it's something fun that we can connect over, you know? Yeah, I love it. I love being able to have, I like the bookend idea that you said with self-care because most people... They will schedule self care because they hear how or they they hear how important it is or believe how important it is, but it's like an after the fact type thing. It's like once I get everything else done, then I can give myself time and take care of myself. Whereas if you are intentional about first taking care of yourself, you'll be able to do everything else better. So absolutely, it is a balance, right? You can't be like spend twelve of your fifteen waking hours or how whatever on self care. You have to, you know, you bookend it, you be intentional about it, but it is a big deal. So I love that idea. I love the way you approach things. And uh everything you shared in the last episode and today's episode I think was super helpful. So thank you so much for being here. I know there's a lot more we could talk about. So we're gonna have to have you back on the show really, really soon. I want to remind people to find more about you at mompowerment.com. That's your website and connect with you across all social media. Suzanne, thank you so much for being here. And I can't wait to pick up the conversation again really soon. Thank you so much for having me, Mario. I really enjoyed it. Next up are conversations with holistic health practitioner Amanda Lira. As she gives you the best advice for ramping up your self-care to support your ambitious goals and choosing the right holistic tools for you. I am super excited to have on the show with me today, Amanda Lira. She is the author of Amazon's number one bestseller, If I'm So Zen, Why Is My Hair Falling Out? How Past Trauma and Anxiety Manifest in the Physical Body. I ask myself that question all the time too, by the way. So that's a great title. As the founder of Just Breathe, a fitness and holistic health practice, Amanda studies and teaches a wide variety of fitness modalities, including yoga, acro, suspension yoga, drum fit, Zumba, and Reiki. She has a strong interest in biomechanics, low-dose, high-effective training, and offers natural, gentle treatments to her clients for a growing list of health benefits and healing properties, resulting in the resolve of a vast range of ailments. 
Regrow Your Hair is a program developed by Amanda to help women with hair loss regrow their hair permanently without repeated smelly treatments or expensive medications that stop working the minute you stop paying. Amanda continues to lead mindfulness talks and workshops across Ontario, and in her spare time, you can find her at the Bayfront reading, doing yoga, and going for walks with her tor- with her tortoise, Darius Redfoot. That's a great name, by the way. He's and- a handsome little guy. <laughs> I'm sure. So you can find more about Amanda at justbreatheholistics.com. That's her website. And she's made a special offer. If you go to her website and you schedule a 45-minute consultation with her, she is going to send you a signed paperback of her book, which I think is awesome. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you. How's everything going in your world today? Pretty lovely. It's a nice sunny day here in Ontario. Yeah, uh, you got to love the sunshine. And I have to point out, unlike me, you have a nice thick full head of hair. I do. Yeah. So and it's all real. I promise. It's all mine. It's back permanently. I haven't had any hair loss issues in going on eight years now. I, I love what you're doing because I see, especially, you know, with with my hair or lack thereof, <laughs> I see on TV all the time these commercials for regrow your hair, hair treatments, all of this stuff, mm-hmm. billboards, they're everywhere. But very rarely do people talk about hair loss in women. Why do you think that mm-hmm. is? For me personally, it was shame, embarrassment. I was, like I said, a yoga teacher, a Reiki practitioner. And when you work in the health industry, people have a certain expectation or you put a certain expectation on yourself, I should say, because you assume that people have a certain expectation of what they're coming for. So it's hard to say that I practice all of these healing modalities while my hair is falling out as a woman. So I actually quit my practices for almost two years because I was ashamed, I was embarrassed, and I allowed my hair loss to completely discredit all of my teachings, I had convinced myself that if I couldn't get a handle on my hair loss, then I literally had nothing to teach anybody in any aspect. Well, that has to be tough. I mean, especially when you're doing something that's so impactful and that you're so passionate about. And I'm sure that, well, I'm not going to assume, you tell me, when that happened, did you feel like it was out of your control? It was something that, you know, because, you know, when your hair falls out, how do you control that at that point? And it had been good, right? It was instantly traumatizing. So I, for some reason, at a very young age, I had taught myself that if your hair looked good, you looked good. So I had made my hair my security blanket my entire life. It was my shield from the outside world. It was something that I could style differently to make myself feel good. It was something I could wear over my face when my acne was bad. You know, it was just, it was, it was my everything. And I honestly believe that it was my defining quality and what made me beautiful as a woman. So I thought that if I lost it or if I ever wore it short, that I would look like a man. It was, it was my, my confidence. So the first time we noticed a, a patch of hair falling out, I was actually sitting on the couch with my boyfriend at the time watching a movie. And I was leaning up against the couch. And when I stood up to go get a glass of water, he's like, uh, babe, you have a bald pop spot. And I was like, no, I don't. That's impossible. And he was like, no, no, you do. And I was like, no, it's got to be just the way I was laying on the couch. My hair probably parted weird. Like I was coming up with every excuse. And he's like, no, like take a look. Like it's, it's a big spot. So I went into the bathroom and he followed me and I saw I had used the double mirror to kind of take a look at the back of my head. And I saw a golf ball size 
bald spot at the back of my head. And I pushed him out of the bathroom, locked the door and just started to cry. And I, you have those like racing thoughts that go through your head, right? So automatically I started thinking back over the week, trying to figure out um, if maybe like it had been pulled and I just didn't remember, or maybe I fell or something like, and I was going over everything that I'd done. Then I was like, oh my God, maybe like I got really drunk this weekend and passed out and I don't really remember. But then I was like, I haven't even been drinking. So that doesn't make any sense. Like none of my scenarios made any sense. So then of course I went to the worst and I was like, oh my God, it's alopecia, it's ringworm, it's cancer. You know, like I, I spiraled all in the span of half an hour in my bathroom floor crying. And um, it was a Sunday night, so I couldn't call my doctor. I called my doctor the next morning and had spent the entire night on WebMD trying to self-diagnose. So I went to her with all these printouts of all of my self-diagnosis. And she was like, you know, for, um, for alopecia, you would see this. For ringworm, you would see this. So she was like, it's none of these ailments. And I was like, well, then what was it? Because that her telling me that it wasn't what I feared was actually worse to me because I thought if she could at least diagnose it, then we could treat it and it could go away and I, I could, you know, be done with it. But because she couldn't diagnose it, we, there wasn't a treatment. It was a bunch of test treatments and none of them were working. So it meant going longer periods of time and having to style my hair differently to hide the bald spot. And I refused to teach yoga. And if I did teach, I would teach in a dark room with my back to the wall and I would be very careful about turning my head to anybody. I wouldn't go outside on a windy day. I would wear toques in the summertime. Like it was just anything to to hide the fact that the hair was gone. And I tried everything. I went to doctors, naturopaths, dermatologists. I tried all the smelly creams. I did all the vitamins, all the DIY treatments at home. I did everything short of the injections. I was told that none of them could guarantee 100% that my hair would come back. And if my hair did come back, it meant that I couldn't ever stop those treatments and I'd be on those the rest of my life. And I'm the type of person who doesn't even take Tylenol for a headache. So the idea of being on meds the rest of my life did not sit well with me. So how did you finally get come to the conclusion of what actually was causing this? Because you have all these things you're trying, all these <laughs> doctors, no one knows what's going on. This to me yeah. sounds like an episode of House. Do you remember that show? I actually never watched it. Okay, well then we'll just forget <laughs> I even said that. But for those of you listening who watched it, you know what I mean. But um, yeah, so what did you do? Um, I actually went back. So a year prior to my hair falling out, I actually had paralyzing vertigo. And it was the same thing. I, I was I had gotten to the point where I thought I was going to lose my license because the vertigo would come on and I couldn't I couldn't prevent it or minimize it. So I had gone to doctors and naturopaths and tried all these different treatments and it wasn't working. And for six months, regardless of what I did, out of the blue, I would just drop and spin, sometimes for hours on end. And I had been doing exercise and meds and they weren't working. So I had gotten into Reiki, which at the time I was a hundred percent skeptical of. And I actually remember telling my friend that there was no way some woman was going to put her hands on me and anything was going to heal or happen. I was like, you're, you're crazy. But after six months, I went back to her and I was like, I'll try anything. So I, um, I met with my now Reiki master who just lives a couple blocks from me and in, my, in our first session, she didn't even work on me. She had me work on myself, which I thought was was pretty wonderful. And 
the day I left there was the last time I ever had any form of vertigo. Uh, it's, it's never come back even in the slightest. I don't even get the dizziness, anything. Everything was healed that one day. And what we had worked on that day was relieving something that I thought I had healed years prior. I had, I had experienced a pretty traumatic event um, in my late teens. And I had told myself that I was fine and that it was okay and that I, had, I was past it and that, you know, I, I had dealt with it. But what I had really done was just kind of bury it. And when we bury our emotions and some of the traumas and our feelings without acknowledging them, they show up in other ways. And for me, it started with vertigo. So when I cleared that, that traumatic event, my vertigo stopped. So I thought the work was done and I had healed myself of everything. And then my hair started falling out and I was like, okay, obviously there's more. So I actually had to go back a little further um, uh, throughout my, my life in order to clear some more blockages that I had buried as opposed to dealing with. And I ended up going back as far as three years old. And since then, I'm happy to say there hasn't been any reoccurring issues with hair loss. That's a great story. And the thing that you told me, I remember when we first talked that blew my mind was when your hair came back, it's not like it gradually grew back, yeah. right? It just like appeared like poof, magic. Yeah. So I had, I had been battling that one patch for almost a year and, um, and was on the treatments constantly. And then a second patch fell out on the other side of my head that was twice the size of the first patch. Um, and when they did come back in, at first, it was just a couple inches. All of a sudden, the bald patch wasn't there anymore. There was a couple inches of hair. And then within a few months, my hair had matched my length. And at the time, my hair was down at my waist. And my hair grows so slowly. So I'm, I'm talking like two inches a year, if that. And within six months, I had my full 15 to 16 inches of hair back. And my hairdresser didn't even know. She couldn't find the patch. That's remarkable. And now you're paying it forward to other people and helping them with do the same thing and through all the different modalities that you teach. And that's something that I want to talk more about on the next yeah. episode because Amanda's promised to come back for round two. So I want to remind everyone to visit Amanda at justbreatheholistics.com. That's her website. While you're there, you can pick up a copy of her book. It's an Amazon number one bestseller. If I'm so zen, why is my hair falling out is the title of that book. But if you schedule a 45-minute consultation with her, get to know her, have a little chat with her, she's going to send you a signed paperback of that book, which I think is an awesome offer. Amanda, thank you so much for being here, and I look forward to speaking with you again real soon. Thank you. It is my honor and privilege to bring back onto the line Amanda Lira. She is the author of the Amazon number one bestseller, If I'm So Zen, Why Is My Hair Following Out? How Past Trauma and Anxiety Manifest in the Physical Body. As the founder of Just Breathe, which is a fitness and holistic health with her fitness and holistic health practice, I got that out. She studies and teaches a wide variety of fitness modalities, including yoga, acro, suspension yoga, drum fit, Zumba, and Reiki. She has a strong interest in biomechanics, low dose, high effective training, and offers natural, gentle treatments to her clients for a growing list of health benefits and healing properties, resulting in the resolve of a vast range of ailments. Regrow Your Hair is a program developed by Amanda to help women with hair loss regrow their hair permanently without repeated smelly treatments or expensive medications that stop working the minute you stop paying. 
Amanda continues to lead mindfulness talks and workshops across Ontario. In her spare time, you can find her at the Bayfront, reading, doing yoga, and going for walks with her tortoise, Darius Redfoot. You can check her out online at justbreatheholistics.com. Grab a copy of her book while you're there. And if you sign up and do a 45-minute consultation with her, so hop on the phone, have a little chat, see how she can see what she's up to or how she can help you. She's going to send you a signed paperback of her book. So that's a great offer. So you can do that at justbreatheholistics.com. So go take advantage of that. Amanda, it's so great to have you back. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Yeah. How's Darius doing today? He's awesome. So he actually has a little roommate. We're tortoise sitting. Oh my. Our friend Demi. So I have two tortoises now and they're glorious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know many people who have tortoises. So I is it like a close knit community where you like help each it, other out and hang out? It isn't actually. I I just got it in my head the one day that I really wanted a tortoise. I used to work at Cable 14, which is a, a local television station. And we interviewed this guy from the reptile zoo and he brought in a red foot and I was like, I want one. So I started researching breeders and I, I met with one guy who had Darius and I fell in love instantly. Um, so I had him at just a couple months old. And then I met a friend a year ago and we were just chatting as we were getting to know each other. And he's like, oh yeah, I got to go home and feed my tortoise. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I have a red foot. I'm like, I have a red foot. <laughs> so it was just- Is it, is it a Canadian thing? Um, I I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, I I think they're pretty popular in the states. I know that Darius can't cross the border with me though, unfortunately. Uh, that's tough. Even if he's an emotional support tortoise. Well, so I haven't gotten the papers. I've <laughs> been thinking about that because I'm coming to Washington this okay. Friday, and I really want him to come with me. But they said that they'd quarantine him 14 days, and I can't put him oh, through that. That's terrible. <laughs> See, uh, growing up, I was a big fan of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> that was like my thing. So I I wanted a, a pet turtle, but. I, I I ended up with cats and a puppy. Now I have puppies. Yeah, so tortoises but. are a little bit different. They're land creatures. They're not water, so he, he doesn't swim. Um, but I do, I literally take him for walks at the bayfront, and people come up to me all the time, and they're like, did he just, like, climb right out of the water and come up to you? And I'm like, no, he came with me. How big is <laughs> We're he? We're buddies. Right now, he's uh, probably about the size of a small frisbee. But he'll grow to be about 18 inches in diameter. How long do they so, live? 85 years. Whoa. Yeah. So, so I'm he's going to be with you for the long haul. Yeah. He's going to outlive me, which I think is awesome. And uh, actually, I tell him we're probably going to go together. But uh, I plan on leaving everything to him in my will. Are so they, it'll be hilarious. Are they, are they affectionate? Oh, So that's the, beauti- the beauty about um, the red fit foot breed is that they're they're very much like the puppies of tortoises. They have such personality. He loves having his like neck rubbed and his shell pet. And he's super cute. He'll come and he'll snuggle. Like if I'm sitting on the floor, he'll snuggle into the crevice of my knee. <laughs> that's a, he's a sweetheart. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, give him a little pet for us. I will. And uh, <laughs> let's talk about what we're really here to talk about, even though I can talk about tortoises. and puppies Yeah, we could do a whole other play. episode on Darius. Uh, does he get along with puppies, by the way? Do tortoises and puppies play? So he doesn't mind. Um, I used to have a roommate with a cat. And the, the thing is that the, the cats and the dogs tend to be more curious of him. And he just does his thing. So he'll walk around and he'll go up to the pets or he really just wants to get um, under furniture, like where it's dark and he's covered. Um, So he'll move around and they'll go up to him and they'll kind of start like swatting at him or whatever. And he'll just pull his little neck out and look up at them. And then for some reason they just start to walk backwards. Like they get 
scared. So um, we did have one dog visit who tried to play hockey with him, oh. <laughs> was pushing him around in his shell. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I had to stop that. But um, but for the most part, yeah, he stands stands his ground, and he actually backed a cat into a corner one day. It was kind of funny because <laughs> he wasn't doing it intentionally; he was trying to get close, but the cat was scared. While we're on the topic, let's just go there for a second. How has having this pet, how long have you had him now? Uh, Darius is five years old. So I've had him for five years. So in the last five years, how has that changed your life? Like how has that changed the way you treat others? You show up and do your work. How has that affected your overall being? Darius is my little Zen creature. I love him. So when I first got Darius, I was working full-time overnights. See if you can keep up with this full-time overnights. I was in film school full-time and I, so I was doing 10 hour overnight shifts. Then I was in school for eight hours a day. And then I was on set three days a week for 16 hours a day. So my schedule was absolutely nuts. Did you ever sleep? Well, I had, so at the time I had a hard time falling asleep because I would come home and I'd be on such adrenaline, right? From either work or from the film that it would take me so long to fall asleep. So if I had like two hours uh, mapped out for a nap, I would literally get 45 minutes of it of actual sleeping. So I just felt like a zombie. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, And then Darius came into my life and I thought he was just so sweet. And at the time, um, I I had a good meditation practice. But again, because of everything that was going on and how busy my schedule was, I was having a hard time getting deeper into my meditation. So I was having a really hard time quieting my mind and just stilling my mind. So I would journal to try and get all my thoughts out. And what I found worked best was I would go into my bedroom and I had Darius at the time. He was much smaller. So I had him in a terrarium right at the foot of my bed. So I would lay across my bed and I would put a little strawberry in Darius's terrarium and I would watch him eat it. And by the time he was halfway through the strawberry, I was out cold. He was so calming and chill. And like everything he does is so, um, it's just, it's just flowy, you know? So he's very delicate and he would get the strawberry. Um, he would take a big bite of strawberry. So there would be a piece of it on his cheek and he would actually hook a little bit of moss with his, um, like claw with his little nail and he'd wipe it off his cheek. And for some reason, that act was so soothing to me. And it got to the point where at first, you know, it was like 20 minutes, I'd fall asleep next to him. Then it got to the point where as soon as I was with him, I would lay down and I'd fall asleep. He became my security blanket. <laughs> now, did he does he sleep in bed with you? No, he's in a terrarium, okay. but like the, so. the terrarium is open top. So it's actually um, uh, right now because he's bigger, it's, it's a, a Ikea wardrobe that I laid on the floor and took the doors off of. (laughs) So I lined it with a camping tarp and uh, filled it with dirt and and wood chips. And uh, yeah, he roams around in there. That's nice. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah. So, you know, that just, when you were doing your thing, when you were regrowing your hair, that whole process, was he part Mm -hmm. of that process? Um, So it actually happened before him. Okay. So no, but um but when he came into my life, all of my practices became um, that much more apparent. I guess because because he does move slower, right? 
it, it kind of allowed me to slow things down. Cause the same thing, when I go for walks with him at the Bayfront, everyone's like, well, do you have a leash for him? I'm like, it's not like he's going to run away from me. He's a tortoise. But he, when he's on a mission, he will walk quite quickly, but it's still a very calm walking pace for me. So I would take him to the Bayfront and I would walk alongside him and I could read a book while walking beside him. So it was just, it forced me to slow down to have him in my life. You know what I mean? So uh, that's the first thing, the first sunny day, as soon as it's 24 degrees here in Hamilton or higher, because he's a tropical tortoise, we head out to the bear, to the Bayfront. I kick off my socks and shoes, go barefoot in the grass. It becomes a meditative kind of like a labyrinth walk. And, uh, and I've got him beside me and his, his energy vibes are just amazing. Doing some grounding. Oh, he's yeah. so, he's so chill. Cool. <laughs> so t- talk really briefly about how you take all of this that you've, you know, that you teach. You do quite a lot. I mean, when I was reading your bio, I mean, acro, suspension yoga, drum fit, Zumba, Reiki. How do you take all of those things and apply them to helping other people? Well, so the beauty of that is that each modality is so unique and so beneficial in so many different ways. And I mean, that's us, right? We are all so unique. So when I do my coaching, I I don't have this one cookie cutter um, kind of program that I say, okay, just take this and run with it, right? I'm, I'm working alongside you one-on-one for the full eight weeks. So it's very person-centered and and, and geared to the individual because I mean, I couldn't, I was on treatments for two years and none of them worked for me because they were the ones that were, you know, the, the blanket umbrella hair loss treatment. Well, but not everybody fits into that or fits under that umbrella. So, um, so depending on that's where the, the, the discovery calls come in. Our, our first discovery call is really to get to know the individual, get to know what their goal is from working with me. And what their kind of dream come true is in the session of if if they could have everything they needed right now and today, what would it be? And then we kind of work backwards to figure out what's causing the particular ailment. So I, I um, I'm geared towards hair loss because that's my personal experience, um, and that's where my anxiety and trauma showed up for me in the vertigo and in the hair loss. But for other people, it's knee problems, it's um, ulcers, uh, digestive issues, migraines. I I deal with a lot of migraines, um, panic attacks. So um, depending on what the person is going through will depend on what we package together in the eight weeks in order to target those specific ailments. And they don't have to be in Ontario to work with you, right? You can work no, with people No, absolutely all over. not. Yeah. That's cool. So th- people can go to justbreatheholistics.com, sign up for a 45-minute consultation where you can talk about, you know, what specifically is happening with them, how you can help them. And you're also going to send them a signed copy for doing that of your book titled, If I'm So Zen, Why Is My Hair Falling Out? Yes. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for introducing us to Darius. You have to, do you have pictures posted on your social media? Um, there's there's photos of him on Facebook. Yeah, I actually um, did a Facebook Live about how I um, prevented and relieved my panic attacks. So there's a half hour Facebook Live and it's me and Darius down at the Bayfront. It was, uh, so he's in the Facebook Live with me. 
Nice. So we'll, you know, you can get all those links in the show notes for her, for Amanda's social media and connect with her there. So make sure you do that as well. Amanda, thank you so much for being here. And I look forward to speaking with you again real soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the podcast. It really means a lot to me. Conversations are what I thrive on. It's something that I believe is so important for each and every one of us to have conversations that matter, to have conversations that connect us, to create relationships with each other. So the conversation that I have with the guests that are on the show, the conversations that the guests and I create to have with you are equally important and a great way for you to have conversations with us is to rate and review the podcast. So if you could go to Apple Podcasts, go to wherever you listen to your podcasts and rate and review this, it is much appreciated. And you can always find us at MediaMario.com. If you go to MediaMario.com, you can find all the things there. If you want to connect with the guests that I had on today or guests that I've had on the show in the past, you can go to MediaMario.com and get their information. If you want to connect with me and have a conversation with me, I welcome that. All my social links everywhere that you can find me all over the web is at MediaMario.com. So go there, visit us, connect with us. I'd love to have conversations with you. I hope you found value in today's show, and I can't wait to bring you the next conversation on the next episode of The Conversation Guy. Until then, have a wonderful day, and we'll talk to you real soon. Thank you for joining us on today's 10-Minute Mindset Power Hour. Did you have an aha moment? Leave a review and tell us more. Or DM us on our LinkedIn business page, 10-Minute Mindset. See you next time.